This week, as we do every week, every day, we have a thought, somebody's great statement uh, or interesting statement. Maybe it's not always great. This week, we had uh, one of the days, Thomas Sowell. And I didn't check which day it was, Tim. I think think it's it's Monday. Monday. I'm half cocked. Monday. That sounds good. Because it's a good way to start the week to remember, and we're going to start the podcast the same way, to remember what I think is, is a truism for most Americans. Thomas Sowell says, the last person to trust with power is someone who is dying to have it. The best person to wield power is someone who is reluctant to do so and who will do it for a while as a civic duty. That is why term limits should make it impossible to have a whole career in politics. That's, uh, that's common sense. Yeah, that is common sense. Common sense. Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkula, and I'm here to help Paul run through the big stories of the week as he's written them up at thisiscommonsense.org. He has five days a week. Paul writes a column on thisiscommonsense.org. The site is called Common Sense with Paul Jacob, and this podcast is called This Week in Common Sense. This week, it seems, you know, we, we, uh, we get into the deep state, the big, big government science, uh, big tech, the usual bad guys. And also to start the week, add the communist Chinese, uh, who are really Nazis, uh, uh, to the list. Because on Monday, uh, we had a piece called Unlinked at LinkedIn. And uh, basically, this was uh, a story that, that you know, it, it didn't, uh, didn't exactly uh, command all the news attention. And we've seen the same sort of thing before. And unfortunately, we're going to see it again. Uh, but we've got to find some way to, to counter it. And that is that LinkedIn is a, uh, uh, it's a platform for people looking for a job, uh, for the most part, and it allows you to kind of talk about what you do. It's, you know, it's very business oriented and to network with other people. And uh, that, that's kind of the idea. It's, it's face, Facebook, but all work related. And, uh, and, and so a lot of people like to like to be on there. It's a good way to network. And we, uh, we see that the Chinese, of course, don't like it when people aren't saluting Beijing and the idea of no rights for the average person and an omnipotent totalitarian state. And, and yet people continue to not like totalitarian states. Uh, and, and so Basically, uh, uh, there have been choices. Uh, we point out in this piece that that you know Google uh, withdrew its search engine in uh, 2010, uh, rather than help censor for the the Chinazis, and uh, and that's what you know business has to stand up. And because we know they're going to put the buck ahead of their own political beliefs, probably, 
um, and often they will, uh, we have to, as customers, make sure they stand up. And that's, I had a number of people this week say, my LinkedIn account is gone. My LinkedIn account is gone. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's kind of what we have to do, but here's what, what basically happened. Um, there's a, uh, uh, a number of people who have been contacted by LinkedIn because they're having to censor their profile in China. China allowed LinkedIn in, but they're demanding that they not have anything that China's censors don't like. And uh, that's why that's not really a good system. Seems very cumbersome. Maybe a, a lack of freedom. But, um, but, but so they're going to say, look, uh, hey, well, why don't you do, and this is what they did in a letter, uh, uh, you know, that they basically point out, um, and, and it's something that uh, Congressman Jim Banks uh, brought it up, uh, that they're, you know, basically he's had folks come to him and say they're, they're censoring these, they're, they're asking us because they, you know, in essence, they're trying to be nice to both the Chinese censors and the uh, and their customers, uh, and so they're asking people, why don't you, you know, you could change it, and it might work out if, you know, if you do this or that. And of course, it's the worst thing in the world to do, is to basically go along with Chinese censorship on a worldwide basis. Um, so, this is happening. It's going to happen again, and uh, we're going to try to alert people every time it does. And there has to be a price to pay because Beijing and the Chinese regime will make them pay a price. If we don't make them pay a price, then the math is all wrong. Well, after reading this piece that you wrote on Monday, a friend of mine, a friend of ours, somebody who comments on our website, mentioned that he shut down his LinkedIn account. And I thought, well, maybe I should too. So I joined the bandwagon and I and I closed my account. It wasn't much of a um, burden for me because I have never liked LinkedIn. A sacrifice. It, it was kind of like me getting off Twitter. And I, I have to say, I've thought about getting back on Twitter just because sometimes it's a hassle. So much of what people are saying that we have to relate to on the news, you know, there's a, and the article in the New York Times is going to say, well, they tweeted this and, you know, you want to go see the tweet and you may want to see some of the back and forth. And, and I'm very limited because I just, I hate Twitter. But when I got off of Twitter, I realized this is really part political statement and part present to myself because uh, Twitter yeah. is, what an obnoxious, you know, they, they talk about different things, the new thing, and we'll be talking about it next week some, uh, but late this week, they, uh, they got talking about Facebook asking to be regulated and about the whistleblower, I guess it was through the 60 minutes thing, and, and that's kind of started to reverberate. She testified before Congress, and her name escapes me at the moment, um, but the whole thing is that do you know it offhand, Holman or something? Haugen, H-A-U-G-E-N, I think. Uh, but I forget her first name. Is it Joan or something? No, I think it starts with an L. But we're, we're really, we're really, please well, grab something. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. 
it, the, the, the thing is, I, it, it might be good if she's forgotten soon in the sense that I, I think what they're talking about, you know, in social interaction, uh, I'm, you know, this, this podcast, Common Sense, the, the things we write and talk about and the memes we, we present, uh, we're not big fans of big tech and social media, largely because they have a political agenda and largely because they kowtow or shake hands and, and collude with. I mean, it's not necessarily anything they don't want to do, but they seem to work a lot with the White Houses and with the congressional people, and they allow themselves to be bullied. Maybe that's the best case for them, but maybe they want to be regulated. So we'll be talking about that some next week. But, but it's not unusual because, of course, the big guys always want to be regulated so they can be locked in by government policies and and they can have kind of the first whisper in the ear to someone who can just make the marketplace do what what they want or at least thinks they can. But um, these, you know, we're going to see more and more of this and it. To me, it seems so clear. We have people on the left and right that seem to switch places in terms of what's private, what's public. But here, the argument is that somehow Facebook is secretly got some algorithm that makes people unhappy, but they buy lots of stuff and they stay on Facebook desperately trying to be happy. They com compared it to uh you know, big tobacco and, and that, the, you know, tobacco was cancer causing and they didn't mention it. And somehow, you know, Facebook is society destroying and they didn't mention it. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, the truth is every bad aspect of the nastiness on Facebook between people. And I think from the people I know and from just personally, I mean, it infuriates me when I see the political stuff and the stupid stuff that Facebook does, but that's a sort of different thing. It troubles me more to see people I know say things that are nasty or, or stupid or just not, not, or just kind of bought into things that they haven't looked through. And, and these are, I, I'm not talking about people who I, I these are people I respect. And, and just to seek some of the vitriol and just the way it, it does things is troubling, but that's on us. That's not on Facebook. And yes, if you post something and people like it, or you make a comment and people like it, and then you're notified someone else liked it, you like that. And if you've got nothing going in your life and or you're troubled about something and we've all been there in one shade or another, um, then maybe you're a little more fixated on that than you ought to be. And you do kind of start, when's the next light coming? You know, it's like, uh, uh, you know, it, it, people, people one day say, oh, uh, you look really nice. And the next day you wear something nice and nobody says anything. It's like, hey, what happened? What, what about me? So, of course, there's some dynamics. And look, people go to school and they get in fights and they join gangs and they do this and they do that. And they, they get into drugs and they do, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things. And we could lay it all on the schools and just say, close down all the schools, because then we get rid of these problems. 
And I think that's a lot of what this kind of Facebook hate is about. I think the other part of it is to try to tie it to something that government has regulated so they can get the regulators in. And what we now know is that that won't upset Facebook at all. That was there. That was kind of what we what they thought should happen because it will help them. Yeah, they have a sort of a ooh, regulate me harder attitude, uh, sort of a <laughs> it's an M thing going here at Facebook. Now, the, her name, by the way, was Frances Haugen. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce the name because I didn't watch Good, the 50 minutes thing. Frances Haugen is her name. Uh, it could be Hogan, it could be Hogan. I just don't really know how she pronounces it. Now, I think that what's going on, you know, for the last number of years uh, is that social media allowed people who normally in their normal lives wouldn't talk to each other about politics. Now we get to see what our friends, neighbor and family really believes about politics. And that's why people are so angry at each other, because they just never had talked about it very much before, because it was just considered, you know, something you didn't do. Uh, I mean, that was the old way. I mean. I remember I remember when I was young, my uh, father would bury himself in the newspaper when my uncle started arguing politics. He didn't like the disagreements at all. And I think that pretty much we're dealing with that kind of a problem. I'm very vocal on Facebook and Twitter somewhat, though I don't like Twitter very much. Right. Because I, I don't go for the short form very much. I tend to go for long form and try to make a long argument of some sort. And I try to figure things out. But I'm also always challenging people and literally i'm 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 certain that many people hate my guts and they'd have to because i'm not nice to them i'm not nasty to them personally ever i don't think i ever do that kind of stuff i don't and that's the thing that upsets me about twitter is how fast people go to calling each other yeah i don't like that some of them some of them are pretty quick on facebook too but the the truth is it's it's there there are kind of two kinds of comments and and you know, because in a lot of this, you, you're not convincing anybody. Uh, it's something that causes somebody to think, or it doesn't. And nasty comments almost never cause anybody to think in any in any deep way. They might think that guy's a jerk, <laughs> you know, but that's not that's not much of a thought. That's a, a kind of a quick quick reaction. But it. it it, it's interesting that how the, the role that social media is playing for Congress in a sense as the, this is the fall, this is how we can fix and heal our society. And uh, it's the usual kind of Washington thing. When, when there's a problem in Washington, the first solution is always, how do we change the PR, the public relations, the media coverage, to make whatever problem it is not appear to be a problem because fixing the problem is almost always harder. And, and so that's always the first thing. And, and here, you know, they want to believe that our society is somehow super corrupted. And my view is all of the reality of that has been caused by their established and just rudimentary a consistent corruption on a huge scale. And so of course people hate the establishment. Republicans hate Republican office holders. Democrats hate Democratic office holders because they, and, and of course the Republicans hate the Democratic office holders even more.
because not only are they crooked, but they also have all the wrong opinions. And Democrats feel the same way about Republican office holders. But it's like, that's that's what we're left with. And then we want to blame it all on Facebook. And it seems to me that, uh, you know, last week we talked about Sassel's, uh, uh, you know, uh, lawsuit challenging Facebook on defamation by going after one of his posts with not a shred, you know, not a fig leaf for Facebook to hide behind. And I, that's so beautiful because so much of what do we do? Somehow we run to Congress and ask them to do something about Facebook. And not only is that not the right kind of political way to do it, but we know from experience that running to Congress for help is that's the last place that anybody in the whole world goes for anything. And so, you know, that's not likely to be the, the source of our success in, in creating a system in which there's more speech, because that's, that's what these guys are scared of in Congress, that they're looking to stop political speech that's against them. They're looking, you know, when the internet first started and the, the kind of sense that, that, that it could lead to political revolutions, largely of a peaceful nature, where because people can communicate, they can organize and they can stand up against authoritarian, brutal regimes. And we saw some of it. And, but it's, you know, I think we underestimated how much control governments have over the internet. And we, we have to realize that it's not just in these authoritarian regimes that leaders would like to always be praised and never be criticized. It's also in the United States of America. And we've got some powerful, powerful people. And as we have alluded to and you know, wondered about and, and feared in numerous times in conversation in, on these podcasts, because we talk a lot about China and about what's what's happening there, it it it's almost that our leaders, our politicians, envy their ability to have a small select group of communists. I mean, they've got what is it, uh, uh, ninety million communists out of uh, out of one point four billion uh, people, and so a very small. Uh, less than one fourteenth, you know, one out of every 14 people who has a voice, sort of, in a pretty brutal system that you might not want to speak out of school in that system. But, but that's, that's the way it is. And, and they, a lot of our leaders like that system. They don't want 100 million people to starve to death, or they don't want the cultural revolution, at least any of the bad parts of it but they like the idea, and maybe they do, but they usually don't say so on national TV. Um, and, and I don't think they do, but they, they, what they want is the power, and maybe I didn't say that clearly, but the, what they want is the power to control the narrative, to control the speech in a society. And that leads to horrible, horrible places. But that's, that's, not, just a, that's not just a knee jerk that, that brutal dictators have. That's a knee jerk that basically almost everybody in public life would kind of like to shut some people up. Now, the listener may be wondering uh, why we aren't talking about LinkedIn since we were talking about LinkedIn and instead talking about Facebook and Twitter. 
But on Tuesday, you did talk about Twitter. Uh, in the death of Mind Your Business, it's about Twitter. How should I put this? They didn't censor a post so much as put a correction on it, uh, an assurance to the people that the post wasn't necessarily correct. Well, and this is, boy, talk about the intersection of, you know, social media censorship and vaccine mandates and big government science. And, uh, but uh, Jessica Berg Wilson uh, got the vaccine, died from medical conditions that by all appearances, you know, it's not like the, there's been a worldwide inquest to decide everything, but from all appearances, it's a thrombotic, Thromba, you, you might have to do this for me, Tim. Thrombocytopenia. Yeah, I don't even want to try that either. That's just a it's a, it's the clotting in it's a it's a, a problem where you're you've got clotting in your smaller blood vessels, and you know there's been a I think is it Sweden or or that uh, came out and stopped the Moderna uh, vaccine for younger people because they were concerned about blood clots and so on. And, and look, I'm willing to, you know, basically believe that uh, this is not a vaccine that's, that there's evidence of zillions of deaths and it's some monster out there, but it, it's always scary that you worry they don't want to tell you the bad news. That's, I had an old boss who uh, I'd, I, sometimes I'd say, I've got good news and I've got bad news. And he would always say, give me the bad news first. And uh, I asked him one time, well, why always the bad news first? I thought I probably had an idea, but he said that, you know, the good news, if you, if you got hit by a truck, the good news always takes care of itself. And so uh, the bad news is kind of what you have to worry about. And when it comes to vaccines, they, which is big government, big government science, big tech, big social media, uh, they want to sell the vaccines. That's what they're doing. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious to anybody who ever turns on the TV or reads the newspaper. And then now they have mandates and so on. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but it's, it's the sort of thing that the vaccine can be safer for people from a, we may look back on this and realize, oh, just statistically it's obvious the vaccine is safer for most people than, than risking COVID. But for some people, it might not be. And the reason that she got vaccinated is that she was pushed to get vaccinated. Um, and, you know, her family was very, very upset that, she did so and died. And they have every right to express that she was pushed to get this vaccine. This vaccine killed her. And, you know, that's, that's not all right. And that's why we allow people to have individual choice. I mean, it's just as simple as that. Yeah, you don't have to disagree with the science, the big science in the sky. You don't even have to disagree with it to realize 
that a mandate for everybody is that's just it's not smart and it's not their right to decide that it's not their right to say you know what we've made the decision so sorry that statistically i mean more people will be saved but your wife your mom your kid is gonna die and they don't have a choice about it and because she suffered from this uh disease that's so hard to pronounce um and that this it just this is not a hard one to figure out that this it's not right for people to be pushed into taking a vaccine that for them is probably not statistically the right move to make now i wanted to add a little something that, that i think you may have talked about it you know a few weeks ago uh, dr charles hoff of lytton bc uh, did some studies. I mean, he looked at the blood of the patients who had had, had been vaccinated. And he found that 62% had clots. But the clots weren't big. They were microclotting, And it's hard to find them. You can only do it with one test. And this woman had clotting in her you know, capillaries and the small blood vessels. Right. And the lungs is where it, it often happens. Uh, but there's other places too. And he says that this is going if if it does hold true that like 62 percent or you know more than half of the people who get whichever jab it is Moderna is the one they were talking about here right and Moderna was for her, this woman who died but uh in dr charles hoff i'm not sure who he was i don't right. know which which, uh, which one it was but he did say that if this can persists uh the people will tend to be dead within three years because it'll lead to right side uh, overstressing of the heart and people will have lots of problems. He's really alarmed by this. And, but he's been, who is this guy? His name is Dr. Charles Hoff. He's of Lytton, BC. Uh, he's, you know, he's has a practice there and he was following the stuff, you know, in his, in his own small way to try to make sense of it all because he had some complaints. People have had headaches and various things that, indicate microclotting by the way and he did the test that used the you know right. determined that microclotting was occurring and uh and now i've read debunking of it but the debunking most of the debunkings i get of these of these uh fugitive doctors the doctors that are not uh put to front and center on the news uh most of the debunking sound like they're special pleading like their 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 job is to you know get everybody to take the, the jab and let's see what happens after that um, I, I don't like this idea of putting experimental medication. Uh, I don't mind individuals. In fact, we, we both love this idea of that individuals, if they want to take the risk that they're dying or something, right. they should. Right. That's a great idea. Right. But injecting the whole world with experimental medicine, to me, sounds like the stupidest thing that ever could be imagined. On the face of the earth in human history. To me, this sounds crazy. Now, I know other people don't think this, but I think this is crazy on the face of it. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I, don't I could see it. a scenario. I could see a scenario where there's some something that you know everyone needs to be. Um, well, thalidomide is the story. You got to persuade everyone. In cases like that, you ought to be able to persuade people. Yeah. And in but this I, case, yeah. you know, it just seems to me that what we now know is that the vaccine is not. This isn't. Uh, this isn't some 
miracle cure that's gonna you know just eradicate this and that it probably becomes endemic instead of pandemic and and that's we're gonna have to treat it and of course we've discussed that on this podcast and outside this podcast and and some on on uh, at this is commonsense.org uh in in different commentaries that they've really poo-pooed that they've you know there's almost been a anti-treating it we have to have some miracle vaccine but you know let's segue to friday's piece uh no transplants for the unvaxxed which basically here's here's the next shoe to drop um that not only do we have mandates and of course you know joe biden's mandate uh telling businesses of 100 employees or more that they have to you know, have any sort of program along these lines just strikes me as outrageously, you know, authoritarian and and Washington doing things that Washington has no authorization to do. But uh, but you know, the, there's other things that flow from that. And here is the University of Colorado Hospital telling Lilani Latala that she's going to be kicked off the list to get uh, a kidney transplant. She needs one. She's on the list. She's been on the list trying to get it. And what does she do? Does she get vaccinated? Well, she's got a real concern that her getting vaccinated may not be the right thing for her medically, that it may not do any good long term. Um, We're now, I read a piece today uh, it's an NBC piece, and I think it was just in, the, it was maybe an out today or in the last, it was recent, it wasn't months ago or anything, um, but it was a, a piece basically saying that the latest study shows that you've got uh, as, as much protection from antibodies from having COVID as you would get from the vaccine. And that the vaccine, you know, starts to taper off after a little bit. And of course, it, some of the antibodies, it looks like taper off from having it, you know, uh, naturally, naturally getting a case of COVID. Which study was it? Was, it was an NBC report. Uh, and it was, I don't know, I don't know the, you know, off the top of my head, what the, what the group was that did the study, but um and I'm sure that it's not, you know, you, you couldn't go by one study and say, well, now we know, uh, because people will have to pick apart the, the study a little bit and, and do further study. But it's, it's a, another thing about let's, let's push. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Let's push the vaccine. Look, if people are, are you know, if, if we could say, okay, we've got this many people covered because we could say, well, look, uh, would you mind getting a test to see if those antibodies are there? Oh, they're there? Great. You know, there's, there's all kinds of ways to do even stuff that oftentimes I don't want the government to do. But there are ways to do it by asking people, by treating people like they are free citizens of a free society and saying, here's the problem. And I'm pretty much of an anti-government crank. You know, I, I think government screws up so much. And, but, you know, it's not the little screw ups that bother me about government. It's the big 
big screw ups that scare me. It's the fact that we could have, you know, the idea of a war that kills 100 million people, you know, those aren't good things. The fact that, that the, the, you know, Mao, the Great Leap Forward, tens of millions starved to death. The fact that millions upon millions died in the Cultural Revolution. The fact that we, we had to fight a war in this country uh, over slavery that, what is it, 600? And some of them now, historians are saying they think it may have been as many as 800,000 people. That's a lot of people to die in a war. And our population in the 1860s is not what it was today, not what it is today. So, I mean, it's, it's when you think of the mistakes and, the, and of course, then there's the whole institution of slavery in the United States and across the globe for all of time, including sadly, tragically, even today in, in too many places, this is, this is what you have to fight against. And the idea that government could maybe provide some service and could help us when we're down on our luck, you know, I don't think it does a very good job of that. And I don't wanna give it a whole lot of power where it can do bad things. Um, but the the, uh, the the small stuff is is not the problem. It's it's the fact that government can set rules where you've got a whole society that's in the dark because of censorship and different collusion to hide information that is being pushed around medically. I mean, why are people scared of socialized medicine? I mean, it's not a, a completely irrational fear. And you saw it widespread. I mean, when Obamacare was coming, people liked to get free money. If they believed all the free money things, that part of it they liked. I even like free money, not from the government because I realize it's not free. But, you know, we, we, if you find $20 on the ground, that's good. It's not bad. They were scared, rightly, that it would lower the standard of care which I'm convinced over time it has and will continue to, the more you socialize the service, and that it would give the government, this is the biggie, way too much power over life and death decisions. Bang, drop, you know, mic drop. This is, this is where we are. And it's, again, you don't have to be anti-vaccine to be anti-totalitarian medical policy regarding the vaccine. And in your Friday piece, the, the kicker is, and they're not allowing some woman to, to be on a donation list for kidney. And uh, right now there's a lot of people in America, and you see it on Twitter especially, who basically say things like, if you won't get vaxxed, you don't deserve to be hospitalized at all. You're taking away precious services from other people. So there's a whole campaign among Democrats. It's not among Republicans. It's among Democrats to not allow people into hospitals who are not vaxxed. This is death panels. I mean, basically, this is the same. The complaint in the Obama years was the the, the hysteria over death panels because they yeah. and and there was an element of truth to the death panel story which we talked about at the time. It wasn't the whole truth, but it was there was an element of truth there. And the problem with socialized medicine is it gives, it gives the opportunity for ideological groups to punish their enemies 
through one of the most important systems in society. And uh, so it's not socialized medicine at this point. It's partisan medicine. Yes. It's a totalitarian partisan medicine because it's not just saying we control the divvying, you know, the, the uh, uh, you know, providing this service. We control you enough that you're getting the service whether you like it or not. You use the magic word. The magic word was totalitarian. And that applies to, uh, well, we're recording on Thursday, and it applies to today's piece, the unhinging of the world mind. And because totalitarian comes in that piece in an interesting way. It's something that I had bumped into at some point. I don't know when. Uh, I don't know that I'd ever really delved into it much. And I still uh, think that it's, it's, you know, there's a lot here to, to, uh, to say grace over, but uh, we are in a time in which there is such massive change, uh, and 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 yet the change in the last year has been right along what uh, this psychologist Gustav Le Bon uh, had written about. Many, many years ago, I, what was the, uh, that was like the 1890s, 1890s, uh, wrote a, a book called The Crowd, A Study of the Popular Mind. And this book happened to be uh, one that Hitler used as something of a how-to in terms of controlling, you know, public opinion and, and mass hypnosis in a, in a sense. And uh, it's interesting that Desmond, what, what's Desmond's uh, first name? Matthias. Uh, uh, Matthias, who's a, a psychologist and teaches at the University of Ghent, listed the things that basically kind of create the preconditions for a, you know, a psychological warping of uh, a mass society. And he numbers them, number one, social isolation with two, lack of sense-making. Society doesn't quite make sense. Three, free-floating anxiety. Welcome to the modern world. And four, general discontent. Um, And then when that happens, people have a tendency to become a little bit unhinged. And when people are unhinged, doesn't, doesn't mean that you know, it's some magic, but they are susceptible to demagogues. Uh, I think certainly there were some preconditions created in Germany in the 30s, in the 20s and 30s, post-World War One, that were very helpful to a totalitarian thug like Adolf Hitler. And of course, if you look at, at Russia and you look at China and so on, there were certain things that led to that society being susceptible to that sort of force. You look at Cambodia and Pol Pot, uh, you know, there were, there were some things that happened that weren't in the normal course of, of business for Cambodia, mainly the Vietnam War kind of uh, uh, spilling over onto their soil. And anyway, these sorts of things, well, you know, you, you look at those and you think about the social isolation of the last, what, two years almost now? Uh, the better part of two years with the pandemic. 
And, you know, the argument isn't that, oh, we've all gone crazy, just that we're starting maybe to go crazy a little bit. It isn't in this one. It's actually in a, in a different piece that we'll talk about next. But I, I used the phrase that, that Rahm Emanuel had used. I don't think he originated it, but uh, never let a crisis go to waste. And of course, when there's a crisis like a pandemic, uh, folks have a tendency to, you know, in political power to see how does this help me? What can I do from this? And, uh, you know, getting people scared and that they're going to die and that their loved ones are going to die and that only the government can kind of provide everybody the, the wherewithal, the, you know, drop shipping money into your account to make sure you're okay. We're going to do the, you know, they're going to pay everybody so that they can pay their mortgages and, and pay their rent and not be evicted. And of course, I, I saw something the other day that so far all the billions they've sent to that 15%, 15%. I mean, this has been going on a long time, 15% of the money that Congress has appropriated to help with rent stabilization payments and so on, so that people don't get evicted, only 15% has gotten out the door. Uh, so, I mean, it's just the bureaucracy. But anyway, I, I, I digress. Um, but these, you know, this sort of situation where the government's doing everything, and of course now has a magic, a magic shot to stick in your arm. Um, that's exactly the sort of, of you know, I, and, and I've, I've seen it with, with people I know, and I won't mention any names, um, but there are people I know, and I, I wouldn't expect them to panic if there was a, you know, if there was a car crash and someone had to do something for heaven's sake, uh, if there was some emergency, if someone had to, you know, needed some financial help to let's figure out what to do here, they would have a straight head. And about this pandemic, they are a little bit crazy. Wear a mask over a mask when you're taking a shower by yourself on a deserted island. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, and, and I'll take a booster every day, um, <laughs> you know, booster shot of the vaccine. So, you know, I, I think, well, as, as we end this, this piece, I encourage people uh, I'm no expert on this stuff. Uh, I encourage people, we ought to look at it because if Hitler used it as a how-to, we need to use it as a how-not-to. And we need to be cognizant that even in, and this is a, a surprise, I think, to people who haven't maybe seen it, it may be hard to believe, but even in the worst of crises, the folks in Washington are thinking about what it means to them, what it means to their career, what it means to their power. And, and that means that if they can take advantage of you because there's a worldwide pandemic, <laughs> then, then what a wonderful world we have is gonna be their view. So sorry, sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Now, what impressed me most about uh, Desmet's ideas here is that, of course, because he explains something that I've been concerned about from the beginning. And what annoyed me in the beginning 
and got worse and worse over time and continues to this very day is the unwillingness of people to consider multiple effects to, to simple causes. So you have a pandemic and then they have, you know, let's get, let's put masks and lockdowns, okay? They'll only consider deaths due to COVID. They'll only consider hospitalization due to COVID. They don't look at deaths due to lockdowns. Uh, they don't look at illnesses due to masks. They right. don't look at the social effects of masks. They surgeries, won't look... surgeries not not performed because of everything being frozen, and then those people dying of a heart attack when they didn't get their heart surgery, or dying of cancer when maybe they didn't get the surgery or whatever treatment they would have gotten otherwise. So no, that's exactly right. It's, and you've written about this a number of times. I mean, this has been an issue all along, and I, this is something I push on Facebook all the time, is to look at all the various effects of the policies you want. That's actually what I've been doing all my adult life, right? Is that you don't just look at your intentions. Your intentions are probably good. You want to stop the pandemic. That's a good intention. Yeah. Okay. Now, is the thing that you say that you're going to do to stop it, is that going to do more harm than good? Well, if you aren't thinking about the harms, but only about this one thing, and that the mass hypnosis going on through mass formation of crowd behavior. That's what it's called a mass formation theory. That's what, that's what it says right here in front of me. And uh, if what it does is it narrows the consideration of issues so that people become uninterested and oblivious to even some of their own private interests, they will do crazy things like wear masks when they're driving down the road in the car or out in the sunshine, or in the wind, or at the beach. These are stupid places to wear a mask, even by mask theory. But they'll do it because they they become crazy. And literally, this is becoming crazy. Uh, this is, this is, it's it becomes become something else other than a logical, you know, hey, this works this way, that's why I'm going to use it. Right. It has become, for some people, a political symbol. In the, right. and, and not just, I think there are some people who so hate masks, it's now become a political symbol for them that someone could be wearing a mask and they would be, you know, just focusing all kinds of bad thoughts on that person when it might turn out that that person has a cold, but had to come out to do something and is wearing a mask and, and agrees with them on every bit of different, you know, it, it has become a political symbol. And of course that's when you politicize science, science becomes politicized and that's a real problem it's a huge and problem. uh and i'm and i'm sure it's it's going to be all the fault of the people who are protesting hey stop telling me what i have to do with my body but the truth is the folks who politicized it are the folks who keep crying science follow the science and then refusing to follow the science if it doesn't follow their political beliefs right well, anyway, that's a really interesting idea. I thought it was very interesting. And, and the thing I fear the most always in politics is the narrow thinking, the narrow-minded. Is the people set up a good and bad, a little a narrow difference between the good and the bad or the left and the right or whatever. And there's a whole stretch beyond both sides. And then you can go orthogonal. And there's perpendicular thoughts to that. There are other issues. Goes three, four, maybe it's n-dimensional analysis. Wait, yeah, but there's only two sides to every story, right? Yeah, see, that's the kind of thing that I dislike so much. That's one of my pet peeves in politics and society. That's right. 
think about when there used to be the uh, John Fitzgerald Kennedy uh, sponsored uh, uh, equal time provision. That was actually a Kennedy uh, administration. Was it? Thing. Okay. Yes. And, and largely designed to go after uh, Republicans on talk radio. Uh, but anyway, and not the talk radio as we think of today, but, but folks who were talking on radio and had audiences and so on. But uh, the whole idea being equal time between two sides there's only two sides. So, I mean, it's, it's any sort of speech stuff like that. Anything short of freedom is so screwed up. But uh, speaking about uh, kind of equal uh, protection of the laws, there was an interesting hearing this last week where uh, a FBI assistant director of counterterrorism, uh, Timothy Langan, was asked if, you know, about Antifa and basically said that they have no specific information whatsoever on the group, that in essence, the group can't be, can't be investigated or studied because it's not really a group. And this is kind of like a little shtick that, that Antifa has going that we're not a group. We're just a collective or some new word that's not a, they have a new pronoun for, for, or something, you know, it's like, it's like, you can't quite figure out what to call them or who they are. So I guess they're all right. We just have to move along. It's pitiful. It reminds me kind of of the, of the, as I mentioned to you, we didn't put it in this piece. Then the piece would have been like two times too long, but, uh, that critical race theory, you saw the same sort of thing that, well, that's not the right definition of it. And they're going to, they're going to, you know, somehow you can't argue against it because they'll never allow you to find what it actually is or agree on any definition. But the reality is uh, Antifa is people who show up at the same place. Somebody's making a phone call. Somebody's sending a text. And I'm not looking for the FBI to investigate anyone that they don't have probable cause has committed a crime. If they think there's probable cause that someday they might commit a crime, they have no, no right, no right whatsoever. In fact, they are forbidden to investigate someone unless they have probable cause that they have committed a crime or are in the process directly of committing a crime. So let's get that clear. I'm not calling on the FBI to run around investigating every you know rumor they hear or every group that did something in LA and then running off to you know Charlotte, North Carolina and investigating people who have that same name because they feel like investigating them because they think they're a threat to the state. That's not what I'm interested in. But when I see what I've seen on the streets, what I saw at, at uh, UC Berkeley uh, by people who said we're Antifa, uh, what I've seen in Portland, what I saw in San Jose outside the Trump rally during the campaign in 2016, other places, what I saw after uh, the inauguration in 2016 or 2017. And, uh, and you know, this is a violent, dangerous, thuggish, intimidating group that 
is not just anti-fascism. They're anti anybody who doesn't agree with them and they will beat them up and threaten and intimidate them. That has zero place, zero place. And by golly, I, I'm no expert, but I know that a whole bunch of people don't fly across the country and show up someplace and beat people up without talking to each other. It doesn't just, you know, there, this isn't telepathy going on here. So they can actually be investigated. It's just the FBI is not investigating them. And I'm not, I'm not looking for the FBI. Like I have said from day one, anyone who was involved in violence against the Capitol on January 6th, or frankly, violence against the Capitol or against anything that wasn't theirs uh, at any time, go after them. Now, don't, don't be stupid about it. Don't, we, we don't want to create martyrs. We don't want to come down. Someone who walked into the Capitol on that day and didn't do anything other than walk in and kind of look around, that's not somebody that we want sitting in a jail cell. Um, but you, you have to go after people who commit violence against other people, or it tends to grow. And there are some people who have suggested if that, you know, that we wouldn't have had all the violence in the summer of 2020 had they done something about it, and that maybe there wouldn't have been the violence on January 6th if they had done something about that. And, and I, I saw it back in, you know, I remember watching uh maybe it was a saturday or something i'm sitting around i don't have anything to do you know and i do that a lot just kind of veg out uh and uh and so i'm i'm seeing this trump rally on tv and the the aftermath of it and it's it's scary it's really scary there are people running around punching and hitting and throwing and threatening and there's no police anywhere the San Jose police kind of took a, took the night off. That's a scary thing. And when the government sides with one side and not the other, right? When, yes. when, when they're just not doing a uh, equal rights under the law approach to crime, that's just wrong. It's obviously wrong. And everybody knows it's wrong. I think even the anti-fascists, you know, the anarchists or whatever, I think they even know it's wrong, but they're taking the advantage what they can. And we should mention that Biden has repeated the same line. This is a Democratic Party line, is that Antifa is, is really isn't anything because it's not, a, it's not an organization with top-down blah, blah, blah. It's, it's not like that. But the thing is, it's as if people never remember things from, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago. Well, and... 9-11-2001, there was an attack in America, and the some Muslim radicals were blamed. And then we learned how Islamic Islamists, they call them, how they organized their cells, right? Is they distributed their networks, so there was no simple organizational structure, so that each cell could actually operate separately. And they, you couldn't go from one cell to another if you were investigating very easily at all because they were hidden. Which is actually a structure. <laughs> yes, it is. But it, it is, is also... Right, and that's obviously how Antifa runs. And they have an ideology that, uh, and they have a game plan and they have a cell structure that's distributed rather than top-down. And no one in their right mind today would say that we should not think about Islamist terrorism because they have 
a, a, a distributed. No, no one would do that. It's just stupid. So this is a very stupid and and um, foolish and not even plausible excuse. And, and on the fairness, that's a it's 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 a huge issue because of course it it plays out politically and that it makes it like your police now is I mean it's kind of what they accuse Trump and I think there's some indication that he was certainly putting pressure on the DOJ. That's not okay. That's not the president's DOJ. It's not the Democrats. It's not the Republicans' DOJ. Unfortunately, a lot of times it is, but it's not supposed to be. But it's not just about fairness. It's also that if you, and this sounds like so conservative, I think, you know, it's so, but you have to enforce the law. You have to protect people's right to speak out. You have to do it and you have to do it across the board, but you can't choose not to do it across the board. And that's the, the title of this piece was uh, government uh, loves anarchists, question mark. And, uh, and the, the, the kind of theory that, that it, it you know, brings up is that it's almost as if they like this destruction, this threat to be out there. And, and I think they do, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, oh, we have evidence that the FBI sent an email to Antifa saying, hey, Mr. Antifa, uh, we're not going to investigate you because we want chaos. But isn't it interesting, isn't it strange, first of all, that they can't seem to figure out how to do it? And that there's been so little reaction to some of the violence that has gone on. And isn't it, isn't it strange that that does tend to create a situation in which people are looking for the state to step up and, and protect them and need the state more. And it's, it's, the, it's the sort of thing, the government won't do its job and therefore you need the government more because it won't do its job. Someone needs to do that job. And of course we saw in, in uh, when, when a lot of this first started, uh, I made the illusions. I remember a couple of different columns for, for town hall, uh, uh, you know, talking about this reminds one of the Weimar Republic in Germany and the violence between the fascists and the communists and so on. And, you know, you, there's no winners between the fascists and the communists. So uh, it, there, there needs to be sensible, common sense, healthy civil society enforcement of basic laws against violence. And and if if you if you decide to you know to run away from that, then then the mob does win, and and this experiment unfortunately is over. And I even think it's worse than that. I get I get to do that again. Uh, it's even worse. And here's how it's worse: is that. Weimar Germany was, you know, plagued with chaos at the time, and the left and the right were, or you know, the, the Nazis and the and the, and the uh, socialists, the communists, were fighting on the streets. But what we don't usually remember is that the government was kind of siding with. At first, the government was kind of siding with the communists. Is that there was a lot of social democrats in the government in in Weimar Germany, 
and they liked the communists. And there was, just like the Democrats today with NFON, BLM, and BAM, which is sort of now dissolved, I guess. But uh, BAM is, I, I don't know that it's dissolved, but it was a, it was a kind of a subset of Antifa. It was, it, they, they had the same philosophy yes. years before Antifa kind of came out. It, yeah, it became big. It was, it was, a, yes. it was a leading organization. It's a cult. I mean, it really is a cult surrounding one woman. So they sort of were, you know, the, whoever got her, I mean, her second banana was put in prison. So I think that really did squelch them because it was a cult. But Antifa is distributed. So that's an important thing. But the, what I'm trying to say is that governments tend to like leftist violence. This is not the first time in human history this has happened where the left has been supported by the governments. This happens over and over again, and it happened in Weimar, Germany. And the reason Nazism rose to power is that they appealed to people who wanted to stop it, but the government wasn't helping. So, in a sense, this same policy the Democrats are applying now led to the, the rise of Nazi Germany. And so that's the worst part, is that this has happened before and no one's learning the lesson. It's not sustainable to, uh, to have the idea. You know, I, mean, I thought the first time when they talked about, and it, it was talked about in Baltimore, that they're going to let them kind of just uh, have some, let's have a little rioting to, you know, kind of cool everybody down or something. And I don't think, it, I don't think that that works that way. And it's, it's, you know, the poor person whose home or business is being burned or who's being beaten up or killed, you know, again, it's kind of like, you may like that kind of macro policy, but there are real people in the micro who, who might be killed in the same way that when you, you know, it's not connected otherwise, but in the same way that if you have a mandate that everybody has to do something, it could be generally a good idea and still not be your right because those people who it's not a good idea for, they have rights too. And, and now, but most Americans probably have never heard this, but a lot of people who are politically uh, active, especially in criminal justice stuff, are aware that the courts have come down and said that basically you have no right to police protection. You have no claim in court that the police didn't protect you when they should have. Like if a policeman's standing next to you and six or eight people beat you up and beat you to death and your family sues and says, hey, that policeman should have protected you. The, the courts have pretty much said, no, no, there's no affirmative right to that. Kind of makes you realize the Second Amendment's a good idea. And it also makes me think there's a problem and, and uh, with representation, if, if we're at a point in which we can't get the government to do the basic things that they've said they want to do, which is why they exist in the first place, then this whole system of having politicians represent our interest isn't, our interests aren't getting represented. This is the, the interest of, of getting basic protection. And it's not a special interest. There's, there's not 1% of the public who doesn't want to be protected? Uh, so you know that's we've got some real problems in representation, and we we don't often talk about it because it's not a going issue. But we've got to get away from districts at the federal level that are seven hundred and fifty thousand people. Those are districts that only wealthy backed candidates can even speak in, and once they're elected, they've got the whole apparatus behind them, and and we get the short shrift. So 
Uh, but anyway, we'll leave that for another day. We better uh, allow people to return to their regularly scheduled activities. Okay. We could end it right there. This week in Common Sense for the first full week of October 2021.